So last week, we looked at Noah. And, and out, of, out of Noah, we pulled him down out of the grandstands of heaven or out of the Colosseum of heaven. And we looked at how he built an ark for the saving of his family. Amen? And so let's just go on now. And let, I want to bring someone else down from the Hall of Fame. If we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, and this is probably not a new sermon for any of you who've been in the faith for any length of time, but I want to bring out some things that I think you're really going to appreciate today. And I want to bring down out of the grandstands of heaven, Moses. And I'm not going to do whatever, like the Red Sea story, but I want to talk to you about some great ideas of what Moses did. And we're going to start in Exodus chapter 1. Exodus means exit. This is the children of Israel getting out of Egypt. And we're going to start in verse 1. And I don't know if you know this, but Moses, even his birth was dramatic. The enemy has always been after our children. Always. Every time. You, you read the prophets of Baal and they would do, you know, human sacrifice. And we read that today and we kind of think about how barbaric is human sacrifice. Thank God we don't do that anymore. But we do it every day in light of abortion. And we are still sacrificing children to the God of convenience, the God of comfort, the God of preference, the God of seeking pleasure without accepting the consequences and the responsibility that comes with that pleasure. Come on, somebody. So we know the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So come with me to Exodus 1 verse 5. The descendants of Jacob, Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, if you read your Bible, you know Joseph interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, and he said seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, and he taught Pharaoh that there was going to be seven years of prosperity, seven years of poverty and famine, and Joseph was put in charge of the distribution of food and resources around the world, what was then the known world, and Joseph, God used him powerfully to help sustain not just Israel, but frankly, the world in a time of extreme poverty. You got that? So Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dream, and, and just remember this, sometimes we all think about our dream, but think about this for as a leadership thought, and I'm going to give you a few of them today, but here's a good leadership thought. If you are obsessed with your, being, your dream being fulfilled, Joseph's dream was only fulfilled by interpreting someone else's dream. So if you just make everything about your dream, I want to tell you, you could miss God. Because the way in which your dream is fulfilled is by you being willing to interpret other people's dreams. Can you say amen? And so don't just make life all about you. And so come with me to Exodus 1 verse 7. And, and it says, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and they multiplied greatly. They increased in numbers. Watch this. This is in Egypt now and became more numerous than the land, and it says, and, and they filled the land. So this is a story about Israel in Egypt, and now there are more Israelis living in Egypt than there are Egyptians. And it says that Pharaoh, and I'm just gonna break into the story, decided 
He was going to treat them harshly and oppress them, make them weak and emaciated, so they could not rise up in numbers and join an enemy and fight against Egypt. And so they oppressed them, the Bible says. Matter of fact, look what the Bible says here. Um, come down, it says in verse uh, 11, uh, chapter 1. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them and, forced, and with forced labor. And they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But watch, the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. Not the more they were oppressed, the more they objected on Instagram and Twitter. The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and, and it worked them ruthlessly. And they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and in mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields and all their labor it says all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Let me give you a leadership thought just on that. You can't keep a good man down. It says the more they oppressed him, the more they multiplied. Do you realize that maybe God could even use what seems to be hard and harsh to make you bigger and cause you to multiply? that what the enemy means for evil, which is the spirit of Joseph anyway, what the enemy means for evil, God will mean for good. You can't keep a good man down. You get knocked down, you'll get back up again. And when you look at the story of Joseph, that's exactly what happened. Everywhere he went, he got knocked down. But everywhere he went, he got back up again. This is Joseph, the father of this whole generation. And now the Bible says that there came a new king, and who had no regard for Joseph. There's a new Pharaoh, there's a new king. He has no regard for Joseph. Joseph is dead and buried. And it says here, I love this here, that they, I love what it says in verse 12, but the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. Let me give it to you in a context of what we'll understand. Israel is like the church. Egypt is like the world. And I wanna help us understand, we can learn something about how to handle and deal with what the world is trying to do to the church today by watching Israel and Egypt. And it says here, the more they oppressed them. Matter of fact, I got a good friend who passes a church in the Australian Capital Territory. It's kind of like Washington DC of Australia. It's the capital of Australia. He's a very very intelligent, well-scholared theologian. He's an academic teacher, preacher of the word, and he just showed and posted that in the ACT, listen to this, in Australia, this is a first in Australia, in the ACT, that because of the amount of government funding that goes to Catholic hospitals, that they've now decided they're seconded the Catholic hospital in, the, in Canberra the capital of Australia, and said, you are no longer able to get any grants, any funding. We are seconding the entire thing because you are a Catholic hospital and you believe in pro-life and you believe in anti-contraception. I want to tell you something. The more you oppress the church, the more the church will multiply. 
Amen? And we, we can learn some wisdom about how to handle the opposition and the oppression by looking everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of the new. And we can learn some stuff. Come on, somebody say amen. And go, come down to verse 15. I'm just trying to give you background. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Sifra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth to, uh, in delivering, it says, if you see a baby that is a boy, kill him. But it's a girl, let her live. If it's a boy, kill him. The enemy's always been after our kids. But he's also, think about this, why would the Egyptian pharaoh let the girls live? Well, he saw the girls as less than. And he saw the boys as being able to rally and fight. And he saw that the number of Israelites were getting so big, we've got a cull and only just have women available to be slaves, to be servants, to be concubines, and that's all the devaluation of women. Nothing has changed. And the elimination of rape and going, the idea of going after kids, nothing has changed. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do and let the boys live. Then the king summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? And the midwives are brilliant because they're Israelite midwives. They fear God. And their answer is, and they said, Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and they give birth even before the midwife arrives. The Egyptian king ordered all the wives, midwives, all of them, to kill the firstborn, every boy, but let the girls live. The midwives said, and I don't know, you read this, I don't know if that's true or whether it's not true. But what I do know is they disobeyed. And they, because they knew, thou shalt not kill. And so even though the king of Egypt said, kill them, they wouldn't do it. Church, may we have the courage to hold true and have the courage to hold fast to the word of God. The king says every male born must be killed. We don't want men who can fight. And this is what the world's doing today. We're emasculating men. Look at the TV shows. Look at the sitcoms. Men are weak and emaciated. They're passive. They're neutered. They're... they're they're feeble. The, the wives are the stereotype of strong. And now the world's even gone to a whole nother level of confusing boys as to whether they're even boys at all and confusing girls, whether they're really girls at all. And I want to tell you, when we say this is, it's never been worse. Can I say to you, read your Bible, study history. <laughs> Amen. King says everyone must be killed. And we are today breaking down the family. We're destroying the concept of a godly home. We're causing people to be confused about who they are. Here's the thought I want to give you. Listen to this. The enemy is trying to remove manliness from the earth. 
God said, let us make man in our image. The enemy is trying to distort the image in which we were created in. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made male and he made female. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one. And then he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Do you know what he's saying? Get it on. <laughs> Amen. In the context of a man leaving his father and mother, and being joined to his wife in that context. And once again, we see the enemy perverting and destroying God's plan of relationships, marriage, identity. And I want to tell you, we the church, the more they oppress us, the more we will multiply. Come on, somebody say amen. The enemy is seeking to change God's design. So in that world enters Moses. In that culture, in that context, let me bring Moses down. Like I said, Israel is like the church. The people of Israel I'm referring to, the nation of Israel. And Egypt is like the world. It's full of sin. God wants to raise up a deliverer to rescue Israel from Egypt. They were being oppressed. They were being treated harshly. And God said, enough is enough. He remembered the promise he made to Abraham. Remember, Azam, Isaac, Jacob. After Jacob came Joseph. After Joseph dives, a new king comes and says, let's oppress these people. They are too numerous. Can you see the history? Have you got it? Say got it if you got it. Okay, so come with me to Exodus 2. And we're going to read a few verses. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. And she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Why did she do that? Because the new king said, kill all the firstborn. And she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with some pitch and some tar. And she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds in the bank of the Nile. Could you just imagine what mother, what would drive a mother under those circumstances to take their newborn baby and realize that the baby's got a better chance of survival by putting it in a little man-made boat and pushing it down the river. There is no mother in her right mind, but so was the power and the oppression of the Egyptians that she knew this baby had a fighting chance. A little baby couldn't take care of itself, but that she realized, what mother would do this? A mother that has no other option. And she understands that if she keeps the baby, it will surely die. Could you imagine the torment of that mother that she'd be willing to put a baby in a basket and send it down the Nile? And it says down by the beach, down by the banks and the reeds. Could you imagine? I mean, I, I know in my background with my mother and, and the, 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 if I go back into her DNA, the, she was a potato farmer in Ireland. There was two cultures. There was the aristocrats and there was the potato farmers. I've been to Cork Island where parents will put their children 
on a boat by themselves to go to the United States knowing their child has a better chance of survival because of the famine and the starvation and the mother would stay behind and the father to look after their parents because their parents were not able to travel and they sent their child away so that their child would have a fighting chance in the future. Well, the Bible says here that this little baby had a brother. And it says in verse 4, his sister stood at the distance, I'm sorry, um, a sister rather. And it says, stood at the distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And it says, and she saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent female slaves to go get it. When she opened it, she saw the baby. He was crying. She felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies. She knew what's going on, she said. And then his sister, Moses' sister, says, ask Pharaoh's daughter, watch this. This is the brilliance of God. Shall I send, listen to this. Shall I, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Don't you love how God does this? I mean, I, I, I try to get my mind around it, and I want to just say, here's a leadership thought. You ready for this? I don't know what your baby is, but God will keep your baby alive. Maybe it is a baby. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's just something that you really believe God gave you and you gave birth to something. Can I tell you, if God brought it, God will protect it. And I love this thought. Not only did God keep the baby alive, but the Bible says that this Pharaoh's daughter ended up paying Moses' mother to raise the baby. Her son. Can I tell you, don't think the enemy's got the better of us. God is sovereign. God is in charge. God will not be mocked. <laughs> oh, I love it. Ends up King's daughter paying Moses' mum to raise Moses. Don't you love that? And it says, I will call him Moses. And how did he get the name Moses? Because Pharaoh's daughter said, I took him out of the water. And then let's just talk about Moses for a few minutes. Moses kills an Egyptian. Moses grows up and he kills an Egyptian. An Egyptian. Moses, I don't know if you know this, had a bad temper. Matter of fact, if you actually look at the life of Moses, the reason why Moses never made it into the promised land was because of his temper. He actually, when God said to him the first time, speak to the rock, and, and Moses spoke to the rock and water flowed out, he obeyed God and God gave the Israelites water in the, in the, uh, in the desert. The second time when the Israelites complained, uh, God said, now I want you to strike the rock. Actually, it was the other way around. It was strike the rock first and then speak to the rock. And so second time, Moses was told not to strike, but to speak to it. But Moses was so angry that he actually struck the rock like he did the other time. You've got to make sure you stay listening to God and stay obedient to God. It's not just in the moment. And you can't just repeat what you did yesterday. You've got to hear from God today and obey God today. So Moses in his, hang on, Moses in his moment of anger was so angry at the people, he just did the last thing God told him to do. 
And God said, you're not coming in. You're, not, you're going to go to heaven, but you're not going to the promised land. You will not take them in. Your temper has got the better of you, and I'm fed up. And it was that that caused Moses to kill an Egyptian. Now, here's what Moses did. Moses thought, man, God put me in Pharaoh's palace. God put me here by design. And Moses, in his finite mind, thought to himself, I will be the person that will identify as a Hebrew, as an Israelite, but I've grown up in Pharaoh's palace, and I will be the one that actually will help each of the Israelites deal with living in Egypt. Moses had his finite plan. He thought one-on-one. Listen, here's the leadership thought. He thought to himself, one-on-one, I will do this. I will look after the Israelites. Are you hearing this? And he thought that. Little did he know, God's plan was, Moses, I never called you to help Israel live in Egypt. I've called you to take the whole nation out of Egypt into the promised land. Can I tell you, God's plans are always bigger than our plans. Come on, somebody. So Moses has this moment where he kills an Egyptian, and then the next day, he sees two Israelites fighting. And Moses goes, hey, listen, I'm stepping in, stop. And they said, who died and left you in charge? Are you gonna kill us like you did the Egyptian? Then Moses realized, if Pharaoh hears about this, he'll try to kill me because I killed an Egyptian. Exactly what happened. Pharaoh heard about it and he goes, I want Moses dead. And that's what drove Moses into the wilderness. And Moses disappears for 40 years where he meets his wife. I wanna just tell you this, watch this. Burden does not necessitate timing. Moses had a burden. I'll help Israel. I'll I'll kill the Egyptian. I believe I've got an inclination as to what it is that God's called me to do. And now I'm gonna make that happen. But Moses did it his way, but God wanted Moses how to do it God's way, not Moses' way. Moses, you are finite. I am infinite. And I know more than you. And I wanna tell you, church, when we think that God's called us, to be that person and be that deliverer, which we are. We are called to be people who are not living in the world. We're called to be people living as part of the church and we are Christians. And I wanna tell you, God wants to use us, but I wanna tell you, we've gotta get a sense of timing. We've gotta get a sense of purpose and the purpose is bigger than what we think. God was wanting the whole nation to be free in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? Burden does not necessitate timing. When I was eight years old, we moved from America to Australia. I wasn't happy about the move. I was mad at my parents. I didn't want to leave America. But we moved because when you're eight years old, you follow your parents. And so when I got there, I thought to myself, one day, I'm going to go back. Many years later, my parents said, do you want to become a naturalized Australian citizen? I was about 12 13 years of age, and I said, would that mean that I'd lose my American citizenship if I become an Australian? At the time, that's what it would have meant. I said, I do not want to become an Australian citizen. I want to keep my American citizenship. One day, I will go back and live in America. I'm not a Christian. When I'm 17, I give my life to Jesus, and then I realize, oh, it's not just a little boy trying to go back to America, just missing friends and 
feeling like we should never have left anyway. It was God who put that inside of me. But still, burden does not necessitate timing. And then when I was, uh, let me see, I, I had prophecies over my life that one day I'd go back to the United States and I'd pastor a church, a guy called Alan Davies, prophesied, you will plant a church, you know exactly where it is, you know where it is, you know, and God will open that door. And I looked at him and said, yep, I do know. I knew it was on the east coast of the United States. I didn't know about Virginia Beach at the time, never even heard of Virginia Beach. But I knew it was back in the United States. I knew it would be on the east coast, and I knew we'd have campuses all over the United States. God put that burden in me. But not until I was 35 did I go. And sometimes we try to get ahead of God and make things happen before God's ready for it to happen. There's nothing more powerful than getting a sense of timing. Yes, God gave you a burden. Yes, God gave you a vision. But you've got to wait on the timing of God and his plans are always bigger. Come on, somebody. Wait on your calling. Don't promote yourself. Let the game come to you. When it comes to meeting the right person and the right partner in life, I want to tell you, don't be trying to think you're going to find them in a nightclub. Don't think you're going to find... I Look, I know some of you don't like me talking like this, but I think the best place, and actually, if you don't like it, I question whether you're even you're a Christian, but the best place to meet your partner is in the church. The Bible says, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. What does the righteous have in common with the non-righteous? What does Jesus have in common with a prostitute? With sin, nothing. I want to tell you, God's partner is in the house of God. You can, you can, you can be single and mingle, but if you flirt to convert, And I know people who've met their life's partner and they weren't saved. And by the grace of God, for you, it's worked out. But for everyone that's worked out, I can show you train wreck after train wreck after heartache after diminished calling after compromised values. Can I tell you, let the game come to you. You just keep loving God, single girl. You just keep loving God, single man. And you'd stay focused on Jesus. Come on, somebody. God will bring the person to you. So Moses is fleeing. King hears about it. But God remembers his promise to Abraham. I'll bless you and I'll bless the generations after you. He was concerned about how the oppressed the people were. Look at verse chapter three, verse one. Now Moses was tending the flock of, Jeth of Jethro, his father-in-law, because he's married now. He's got a father-in-law and, and uh, uh, the priest of Midian. That's who his father-in-law was. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. That's a whole sermon in itself, let me tell you. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, though it did not burn up. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Don't you love how the Bible puts that? All right, we'll go over and see this strange sight. The bush does not burn, yet it is on fire. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over to look, this is the sense of timing. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. 
Moses said, here I am. God says, don't come any closer. God said, take off his shoes. Then when he took them off, God said, put them back on. You got foot odor. (laughs) For the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was too afraid to look at God. (laughs) The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them out into a land that is good and spacious, a land that flows with milk and honey, not honeys. The home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Parasites, the Termites. Just checking to see if you're following with me. And now the cry of the Israelites have reached me and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So God says, I'm gonna rescue them. Moses goes, awesome. And God says, So now go, you the man. Moses already tried this. It didn't work. He's got a bad temper. He's already killed someone and buried the body in the sand. And then he tries to intervene between two Israelites and they don't want him. He's trying to help, but they don't want the help. And now he's run for his life, a fugitive, a murderer. And God says, I've seen it. Moses, you're up. He's a reluctant leader. He's killed someone. He's rejected by his own people. There's the leadership thought. God's plans are always bigger than ours. Moses thought he'd be a one-on-one deliverer to help them survive living in Egypt God was thinking, no, three million people are coming out of there and they're gonna go into a promised land. So in this moment, and I'm wrapping this up now, in this moment when God says go, Moses says, who am I? I'm a murderer. I've messed up. I got a bad temper. Who am I? And then he says, well, what if they ask me who sent me? Who are you? What's your name? And then Moses says, what if they don't believe me? And then he says, I can't speak eloquently. Do you like the way I did that? Eloquent. Some of you got it. Moses says, send someone else. Because sometimes we try to serve God and it didn't work out, and God goes, but now, this is the moment, this is the time. Who am I, who are you? What if they don't believe me? God gave Moses power to perform signs and wonders with his staff. He said, God said, hey Mo, stick your hand in your shirt. What's this gonna do, God? Stick my hand in my shirt. That'll really scare Pharaoh. I guarantee you, the moment my hand goes in my shirt, Pharaoh's gonna go all far out. (laughs) Moses says, pull it out. Ah! He's got leprosy. All right, God, 
Very good, but now how am I going to go to Pharaoh when I've got leprosy? I'm not allowed to go near anybody with leprosy. God says, put it back. What, am I going to have 10 fingers next? <laughs> Comes out, completely healed. He's trying to say, Moses, I got you. It's never about you. It's me. It's what, I got to do this up because some of you are really annoyed, I can tell. <laughs> Pharaoh makes it harder for the Israelites. He makes them work harder for less food and less rest. Aaron one time throws down his snake, a, a rod rather, it turns into a snake and it devours all of Pharaoh's magicians and all their snakes when they threw down their rods. Can I just remind you, church, no matter how bad the world looks, God's power is always greater. Some of us are trying to be self-deliverers. It's up to me. I've got to do it. God is in control. Pharaoh's not having any of this. Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, listen, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, there ain't no way I'm letting you go. If Pharaoh let them go, he lost the entire support system of Egypt. They've, get, they've become dependent upon these slaves for everyday trading, everyday existence. You got it? Pharaoh wasn't just giving up because, well, Pharaoh lose. It's what the whole nation loses if he lets them go. You hearing it? So Pharaoh goes, there's no way, man. It's just not gonna happen. So what does God do? God turns the Nile River into blood. That's a bad day, friends, when your water source is gone and Pharaoh won't let him go. So God sends frogs. I mean, there were frogs everywhere. But having said that, I want you to notice this, that the frogs were only in Egypt. They weren't in Gershom where the Israelites lived. Not a single frog in the whole place that Israel lived. God has got you while he's dealing with the world. And the frogs everywhere. Think about it. You wake up in bed. I mean, you wake up in bed. There's frogs in your bed. There's here a frog, there a frog, everywhere a frog frog. How do you get rid of the frogs? Who are you going to call? The frog busters? There's frogs everywhere. Then there's gnats. Dear God, I hate gnats. Then there's flies. The only place that I think that maybe the flies went to was Australia, because Australia has the most, you can swat like that in the summertime, and you will swat with your hand 20 flies. I hate flies. There's flies everywhere, except in Israel, in Gershom. All of Egypt has got flies. There's a plague of livestock. All the livestock got plagues, except for Israel's livestock. God protected the church while he was dealing with the world. And then there's boils. 
There's boils on the people. There's boils on the animals. There's boils everywhere. And then there's hail, but not on Israel's farmland, not on Gershom, just in Egypt. And then there's locusts. Here are locusts, there are locusts, everywhere are locusts, locusts. And then there's darkness, and there's darkness everywhere. Three days, the Bible says, there was no daylight for three days. And Moses comes one more time. Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh goes, peace out, man. You go. But then God hardened his heart. And Pharaoh goes, Changed my mind again. After all this, he wipes out the entire land, the environment, the livestock, the water source. And Pharaoh's still saying no. Can I tell you, the devil is dumb. God says, Moses, This is it now. I'm going to send an angel of death and I'm going to kill the firstborn of every male. They're all going to die. Pharaoh won't give up. His heart's too hard. He can't imagine living without Israel. And for every plague, for every livestock that was destroyed, for the hail, he needs Israel to help bring all that back. So you tell Pharaoh, this is it. God's done. He's not playing games anymore. An angel of death is going to go through the whole land. Never, there's never been weeping like this before in the history of the world. And if you read it, it says there'll never be weeping like this again. A whole nation, firstborn child, every, not just child, Firstborn livestock. The only thing the angel of death, when he sees blood of a lamb on the doorpost and on the sides of the door, Moses, you tell the Israelites if they will get a lamb, and there's a whole bunch of stuff in this story I don't have time to bring out. And they will take this lamb on the 10th day, take the lamb on the 14th day, sacrifice it and eat it, but don't eat any leftovers. Consume that the next day by fire. And when you eat it, make sure your loins are good about you. Make sure your sandals are on because you're about to move fast. <laughs> Some of us are so comfortable, we couldn't, our loins aren't good about us, our feet, then we're not, we're not ready to go. If God said go, we go, give me a week. <laughs> if we go at all. Do you get this blood of the lamb? And when the angel of death comes through Israel, the only thing, if it sees, listen to this, if it sees the blood, I wanna, I wanna show you what it means. This is the lamb, and, and you're just gonna do this, and you're just gonna do this, and you're just gonna do this, and listen to this. If it sees the blood, it will pass over. How good is God? Even the Egyptians were offered this rescue plan. Not when it sees your works, it sees the blood. 
How good or bad you've been has got nothing to do with it. Your sins have been covered because of the blood. It's not your works. He's not looking at the library to see what books you've read. He's not looking to see how much money's in your bank account. He's not looking to see how broken you are and do you deserve the mercy of God. He's not looking to see if you've got the right college degree. The only thing that causes the the angel of death to pass over is when he sees the blood. And when he sees the blood, you are saved. You are delivered because the blood of the lamb passes over you and I want to tell you we got to see that Moses by faith everything he did he did it by faith he couldn't make that happen but he trusted God and you and I today have got to live in this world by faith like Moses did and we live under the blood of Jesus and God is bigger and God is greater than any plan of the enemy he's stronger than any politician he's stronger than any legislation When God sees the blood, we are saved by the blood, not by our works, not by our ability to quote Scripture. We are saved by the blood, and he offers it to everyone.